So welcome everyone to FSV 305, Optimizing Payments Collections with Containers and Machine Learning. My name is Matt Nowina, and I'm a solutions architect with Amazon Web Services. And today I'm joined by Nima Najafi, who is a senior manager of data science and model innovation with Scotiabank. And we're, we're here to talk to you a little bit about Scotiabank's story with, with containers and machine learning and how they approached problem solving within their organization. A little bit about myself. Um, I'm a solutions architect that focuses on financial services in Canada um, with a, a technical focus on security and containers. This is my fifth reInvent. Uh, I've had the privilege of being here as a customer, as a partner, and now as, uh, as AWS. This is also my second year uh, as a presenter, which means that I've learned to turn off my Wi-Fi and there will be no notifications popping up. Um, to set the stage for, for today's talk, we wanted to take you back to December of last year. So just after reInvent closed, we actually launched the CA Central Canadian region. And within 90 minutes of this region going live, Scotiabank was actually able to migrate their workloads from, uh, from another region into the Canadian region and be up and running. And the way that they were able to do that, do that is by leveraging containers and Puppet so that they were able to define infrastructure as code and very quickly deploy their application. And today's talk is gonna take you through how they were able to accomplish that. So what can you expect from this session? Well, we're gonna talk about why Scotiabank started with payments collection. What was it about this that made this a compelling topic for their customers? Why leverage deep learning? Um, what this meant to, in terms of innovation over their existing processes? Then we're really gonna dive into container-based deployment workloads. So what are all the components that, that you need in order to deploy your application using containers? Um, and then Nima is actually going to take you through the specific deployment pattern that Scotiabank went through. And finally, we're going to go through results. So to kick things off, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of a flywheel for data. So we live in a world now where we collect lots and lots of data. We want to use that data in order to get better analytics. Uh, with better analytics, it allows us to build better products. Better products leads us to more users, and consequently, we've got this, this uh, introduction of more and more data. So you know, this includes things like clickstream data, user activity, purchases, but specifically for financial services, you've got a tremendous opportunity to take advantage of this data flywheel effect and actually leverage you know, the trillions of data points that financial services collect, everything from transactions to social media interactions that really creates a goldmine of useful insights. Um, we, we find over year over year that, uh, that businesses are driving more value from this. Once we've got this data, now you're gonna need a platform that sort of helps to, to build this out. And this is another interesting area for where AWS starts to, to uh, come into the picture. Because for the first time, you're able to really separate out storage from compute um, so that you can collect this data, decide how you want to ingest it, how you want to process it, you know, whether you're using things like 
um, Spark or Spark ML for, for setting it up to, to be able to run machine learning jobs. These tools help you to build better products by understanding what your customers like and what their behaviors are. And the interesting thing for financial services here, for the first time now, you have the, the ability to understand when money is coming into your institution, when money is leaving your institution, and then correlate that with social media events so that you're actually able to track life events for your customers. Then, when you've got a platform that's, that's able to help you build out these products and services, you have the, the ability to leverage artificial intelligence, to derive new insights, to perform predictions on who you should target with new offers or new improvements to these services. And then finally, leads you to pinpoint better services, better product offerings, hyper-personalized communication. Leaders in this space are gonna, they're, they're going to pave the way for years to come. And as this data flywheel continues to spin faster, they'll see the gap between them and their competitors grow wider and wider. So that's what we're here to talk about. At this point, I'd like to hand it over to my colleague Nima to talk about Scotiabank and their, begin their story. Thank you very much, Matt. Uh, hi, my name is Nima. I'm working for Scotiabank. If it goes, yes. I'm working for Scotiabank, and I'm going to give you a brief introduction of who we are at Scotiabank first in a couple of slides, and then we go further and deep down into, into more technical stuff. <clears throat> Who's the Scotiabank? Scotiabank is like any other bank in, in Canada or anywhere else. We are the third largest bank when it comes to capital in, in Canada. We are on top of 10 world's strongest bank, according to Forbes. Uh, we are providing services to North America and Latin America and Caribbean. We have over 88,000, almost 90,000 employees, and our asset is, is uh, $907 billion, according to the report that we have on July 31st of 2016. And we currently have 23 million customers serving them in, in all those countries that I, that I mentioned uh, all over the world. So what was the problem that we were solving and what is our, our strategy in the bank? The problem that we were trying to solve last year is about credit cards collections. And the, as you all know, the portfolio is growing. Everyone is, is getting more credit cards and stuff. And the balances on the credit cards were, were increasing. So we needed to come up with a better strategy to protect our good customers and save as much money as we can detecting the, the, the collections earlier by, by machine learning techniques. And the reason we're doing that is partially the problem. And the other thing is the strategy that we, we have at the bank. We are trying to be as much digital as possible. And this is part of the, the bank strategy to go to AI to, to use as much machine learning te techniques as possible to prevent any loss. So in the, in the payment collection area, we had some, some delinquency rates. And the, 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 the table that you see is in US dollar. It's actually from US banks, but Canadian banks are very, very similar. The numbers are very similar. So as you see, the, the delinquency rates in different years are increasing. And from, from 2016 Q2 to 2017 Q2, the defaults and delinquency rates went up 2%. 
So that shows you why we, we start this project initially. What we had before deep learning at Scotiabank were like a lot more manual stuff, less DevOps. We did a lot of basic models developed internally, mostly logistic regression and linear regressions. There were no machine learning involved. And with AWS and, and the new machine learning techniques that we used, we could, we could change that direction. A lot of manual process was happening internally. And we, we tried to use DevOps to, to minimize the number of manual steps in this project. Uh, the, the complete data source preparation was very time consuming internally and using these techniques that we used, we could, we could tackle that as well. Uh, the, the, the predictions that we used to have were less accurate and, and we could give a lot better, ac better accuracy on that as well. And of course, we, we created a lot of opportunities for, for the financial industry using these machine learning techniques. So here, I'm gonna pass it back to, to Matt about, he's gonna talk about the more technical stuff and then I'll give you a demo. Thanks, Dima. So, what I really like about Nima's story there is that it's two things. I mean, he broke down his problem set into to two discrete components. The first was you know, an understanding of their customer base. And understand that since 2008, 2009, um, banks have continued to lend out money, that we're seeing consumers take on more and more debt, and that the delinquency rates are increasing. So there was an opportunity if you could accurately identify who people were that might have issues paying their bills, that you could proactively reach out to them and engage. So there was really focused on who their end customer was, as well as the idea that there's an opportunity to quickly experiment and innovate. So build out a new strategy, try something, look at the feedback, and iterate over that result. So that brings us into the advent of deep learning. So, just out of curiosity, how many people are leveraging machine learning or deep learning within their organizations today? Actually, an interesting number. I mean, part of it's obscured because of the lights, but actually, you know, a fair representation have, have started down this path. We're actually seeing this um, happen for a number of reasons, the first of which is the idea of, of algorithms here. So, you know, we've... Deep learning algorithms like convolutional neural networks, recurrent neural networks, are helping us um, quickly and more easily solve very tough computing problems. You know, things like computer vision, natural language processing. But in order to do that, um, these, these deep learning need data, and they need a lot of data. And so, you know, again, with financial services, with cloud computing, it's never been easier to collect and analyze large volumes of data. After you've got the, the algorithms to get started, the data gets started, the next thing people turn to is the platform, the underlying hardware that, that, that's actually going to uh, perform this, this, uh, the, the training, the, uh, the actual returning the results. Many people started with compute-based instances, but found that with um, CPU model training time can take you know, days or weeks. And there was a big push towards um, GPU and, and uh, further on into FPGAs to help reduce this down into hours. But having access to that specialized hardware is sometimes hard to justify when you don't necessarily know what the result is gonna be. 
And the last component here is programming models. So how do we bring um, uh, deep learning science to our developers? How do we, how do we uh, make this easier for people who aren't necessarily data scientists? So this is where the advent of things like MXNet, TensorFlow have greatly simplified this development process. Um, and, and lead us into interesting new machine learning models and applications. So for the Scotiabank use case, they actually developed this on TensorFlow. AWS's approach to artificial intelligence has been this idea of democratizing AI. So making it easier for our customers by providing a rich set of AI services, platform services, um, right down through frameworks and underlying infrastructure. So, I mean, the, to, to kind of walk through, the, the idea here is at the top you have managed AI services. These are ones where you don't have to run the infrastructure, there's already a, uh, a solution that's ready to go. So these take things like uh, image recognition, doing um, text-to-speech, so, but, but taking that to the next level, understanding the context of the sentence so that you can create new human-computer interactions with your, uh, with your customers. Lex for uh, voice and, and chat understanding, so the natural language understanding, understanding the context of what's being said and being able to reply to that. Then to take it down a level, you have managed platforms, so Amazon Machine Learning, uh, Amazon EMR, Spark, Spark ML. This takes away or abstracts the idea of having to run the underlying infrastructure and gets you focused on what's my application that I want to deploy. And the next is down into AI frameworks. So the people that actually um, put up their hands, how many of you have been responsible for installing these frameworks? Got, got a couple here. Um, this is a huge pain. Um, the amount of time that you spend getting these drivers, getting these frameworks installed and ready to go, this is where things like the Amazon Machine Learning, the, uh, Deep Learning AMI come into play because it's all prepackaged and ready to go. And you have multiple frameworks at your disposal. Finally, the underlying infrastructure. So having access to that specialized compute that, that give you the type of hardware that you're looking for, the processing that you're going to be doing, the networking components, or the, the surrounding bits. But that still leaves us this problem of how are we going to uh, develop this across our on-premise environments, our cloud environments, different application stacks, different hardware deployments. You know, things don't necessarily match. How are we going to run all these different components? Well, this is where we get the introduction of containers. Now, some of the, the core benefits for containers are things like uh, reproducible builds. So having that, that consistent result, that deterministic result every time you go to deploy this, whether this is on a developer's laptop or running in a production environment. As well, you have uh, the ability to increase your utilization. So actually running multiple processes, getting better use out of the hardware that you're, you're deploying for this. You have isolation and fidelity. So this is another area where people want to have security of the individual containers, how they're going to lock those down running diverse sets of application on shared hardware, uh, infrastructure as code, easy to deploy. These are all the sort of benefits to, to containers. So at this point, I'm going to take you through what are all, each of these components that you're going to need. Um, 
for anyone who's, who's worked with Docker before, they're going to know that it's fairly easy to do Docker run image on a single laptop. I mean, Docker's made it incredibly uh, great, easy for, you, for us to spin up different apps and have those isolated from the rest of the operating system. However, when we talk about moving at scale, this is where it becomes really difficult. Um, you know, understanding what to do when a container dies. What's that, what's that impact to our, our job? Understanding where to deploy things. Uh, how, where, how are we gonna create a scheduler? Where do I wanna deploy these pieces? What are all the different components into it? This is all taking away from um, your ultimate application and one of the reasons why we built ECS, or Elastic Container Service. So, core ECS benefits here are cluster management made easy, the ability to have flexible scheduling systems. So these can be uh, plugins from external systems where you can define uh, what are the parameters, what are the types of hardware, what are the CPU or memory, and it will uh, identify where the, the most logical place to deploy that is. Um, integrated and extensible, the idea there being uh, ECS is closely tied into other AWS services. So when you think about how you're gonna be load balancing traffic across multiple instances or you know, moving into to security things, uh, big advances in ECS with respect to networking and security groups, being able to define a security group for an individual container that's separate than the container host. So you can lock down the traffic to and from that, that uh, container to just what uh, it requires. And lastly, the, the performance at scale. So again, that deterministic performance, you wanna have the, the, the expected result, whether you're running that on an individual machine, one machine, 10 machine, or hundreds of machines right across the board. All of those benefits lead us into things like portability. So immutable infrastructure, allowing you to have that defined container, what it, what it looks like and what its purpose is, run anywhere. Flexibility, so that you can decompose your application, define whether containers need to run together or separate from one another, uh, understanding what the underlying cloud infrastructure looks like, uh, how they define, how they respond to availability zones, what, what the, that, um, those RTO and RPO targets are. Speed, and it's not just the idea of speed to spin up a Docker con container, but also speed to um, to develop your applications. So the idea here is that you can separate out functions for uh, people that are responsible for um, maintaining an image earlier in the cycle that you can base your image off of or you can deploy your application on top of, and then efficient resource utilization. Really what we're, we're talking about here is the idea that containers are another level of separation. So you know, we, we've all been down the road of bare metal, then into hypervisor states for emulating hardware, finally down into process level user space isolation, where you can now define on a per process basis the amount of memory and uh, CPU that you want to uh, constrain for that. All of this leads us to agility and speed to deploy. There we go. Now, as I mentioned with, uh, with this idea of hardware abstraction, containers make it really easy to run across an agnostic hardware fleet, but what about when you wanna have specialized hardware use? Well, you know, we wanna be able to leverage GPUs in our actual containers. 
the, the first approach to this was an idea of taking the NVIDIA driver, installing it into a container, and it needs to match the, the container host in order to share resources between the container and the container host, but it's very brittle. And so NVIDIA actually developed uh, the NVIDIA Docker command, which uh, simplifies the process for uh, exposing devices to a container. So now you have specialized hardware at the bottom, you have an, an AMI that has your frameworks ready to go, and a way of exposing those devices to your container allows you to really focus on the application. All that's wrapped in uh, a single instance plus the ECS agent, now you've got all your orchestration in place. So what are the other missing components in order to be effective here? Well, first is container registry. Um, you'll hear about why, from a financial services perspective, why it's important to have a private hosted registry that you control the security of. But ECR, it gives you a fully managed Docker repository, makes it easy to migrate, to version control, to store your images, and then have those private to your environment. We've got a link to, to learn more up there. But what you really want to know is, okay, so how do I leverage these components together? That takes us into um, task definitions. So for those that aren't familiar, task definitions are the way that we define container-based workloads on AWS. You can see here that we have uh, a descriptor, uh, a JSON file here, where you can define uh, whether there are multiple containers that need to run together or run separate from one another. You can define the resource requirements. You can also define things like the image location. Where do I want to pull the image that's going to be deployed? And at a high level, you can see the, all the components that went into the Scotiabank deployment. So the idea, we had the TensorFlow um, framework. We used Docker container. We used ECR to store those images. Task definition to define what the workload was going to look like then identified the right GPU instances to do the machine learning, and then deployed through ECS. So this, is, this leads us to a reference architecture for actually deploying these different components. Um, there's basically a series of, of commands that you're, you're probably well familiar with doing this in on-premise environments or in cloud environments without containers. The idea, first of all, is to go through your commit, so where you're going to store your application code. Um, code commit is a service that will do that, uh, with, which is a Git-compatible uh, code repository service. Then we have the, uh, the ability to trigger events, so actually have uh, events that understand when a commit is, is uh, done that kick off a pipeline. In this case, code pipeline understands, okay, we're going to need to now build an artifact, so update our image, push that image into ECR, and the actual application deployment is done at that point. Now, if you look at step five, that's when you're actually talking about updating the stack and looking at, at what you're going to do. So in this case, we're looking at leveraging cloud formation to say, hey, there's an update to the image we want you to deploy. We'll define what your rollout looks like, how many instances do you want to run at any one time, um, push that as an update, which then notifies the ECS service that there is a new uh, image to pull from, reaches out into ECR, and then deploys across the instances on the side. So this gives you the, the reference architecture. This is this sort of the, the, the best practices associated with it. But what I'm going to do now is hand it back to, to Nima to actually take you through what Scotiabank did and how they mapped a similar model to their environment. 
Thank you, Matt. So before I start the demo, I'd like to mention that this project is partially done by our team, which is DSMI, Data Science and Model Innovation. And the model development part of it is done by a fintech company, AI company in Canada. It's called Deep Learning. So the model development portion of what we did is done jointly by our team and Deep Learning, which you're going to see on these slides. So the things that you see on the left is a server that we have on-prem at Scotiabank. We call it the SMI AWS Gateway Node. We are using GitHub and Puppet to deploy our, our whole infrastructure to AWS. And I'm going to explain why we use Puppet and the reasons behind the scene. The GitHub Enterprise instance that we have is fully on-prem. It's not github.com. And the Puppet is also on-prem. So we have a pipeline internally to deploy uh, to, to manage our infrastructure internally on Scotia, at Scotiabank and deploy our code to the target servers. And we use Puppet for that. We use the same, we leverage the same system to do it on AWS as well. So by coding on DSMI gateway node, AWS gateway node, we create three buckets on, on, on AWS, three S3 buckets. One for the code, one for input data, and one for the results that we create using our machine learning. And we can create our own policies, bucket policies, by just passing a JSON file to, to the Puppet code. And we create all those three. So here, I'm going to show you how, how it works on AWS and how the Puppet code looks like. It's a, the, the right pane is the AWS console that I have. And I have a couple of Puppet code with, with uh, different things that I'm doing. This is the S3 creation. As you see, the policies are commented out, but you can pass the policy. This is only for reInvent purposes. It's not the actual thing that we did, but we passed the right policies to, to the AWS bucket as well. With one single uh, command, I create, pop, uh, and it's puppet apply, create S3 buckets. It's our code, and I, I run it in debug mode. Before I run it, I do a refresh on the console the S3s are not there yet, as you see. The S3 buckets are not created. Now I, I click on it. This AWS Gateway node is locked down on-prem, and we have all the credentials required to create that, that cluster, and, and anything that we do on AWS, uh, we, we, we lock down the, the credentials on this box. And as you see, the three S3 buckets are created pretty simply by, by one line of code. Once we are done with S3 creations, we have to push the, the data that we have on-prem, the data that we anonymized, we remove the sensitive data from it, the credit card numbers, names, the, all the sensitive data are mapped to, to a data set that we have on-prem. We are not pushing that data to AWS. We map the, the actual data, we, we anonymize the, the sensitive columns, and then using the, the AWS CLI, we push the data to to the S3 input bucket that we have. And uh, we, we take care of the encryption as well. Oh, I have to go, can I go back? I just clicked it by mistake. Yeah, okay. So here, as you see, the input, input bucket is empty. And now with one, with one single line of code, I push the data to AWS. 
And again, this is just the sample data. It's not the actual data that we use in our, in our actual production environment. And you see the data bucket, the input data bucket is now with input data CSV. The next thing is to create our own ECR because we cannot, as a financial industry institute, we cannot use Docker Hub for, as our registry for our Docker, Docker images. So we used ECR, we created our own ECR with the policies that we need using Puppet. So again, this, this, and all these codes that I'm showing you, they are all already open sourced for you. You can, you can leverage them after this. So here, I'm creating the ECR using, again, one single Puppet module that we created in-house. We are running Puppet Apply again, as you see, and the right pane is showing the ECR. That is not, not there yet, and after I refresh, one more time, I need to go to the EC, ECFs. And you see that I created the registry. It's like my own private registry that deep learning team now can, can push their Docker images to. So now, the FinTech company that I explained, they come in and they want to create their training, training Docker images to push to ECR that I allow them to, to push. They can only push, they cannot delete the, the Docker images from these container registry that I created for them. So all the policies are taken care of. They only push and they don't have any more visibility. We ask them to push to ECR with one single command again. This is just another image that I, that I pushed in. These are the images that I have on that machine. With Docker images, you see the images that are there. And then I tag the images. And then easily, because I already logged into my ECR, I can push the image to ECR. Again, it takes like five seconds to push these images to the ECR. And once it's done, I'm going to show you the console that all these images that we need, actually the one image that we need is there on ECR. This is the thing that I created before this. And now I have my machine learning training image there as well. So now this, this image, this container, when it runs, it has to get the data from my input S3 bucket. It needs to do the training on it, and then it spits out the, the, uh, the algorithms to think the models that we want to run against the actual data to two different, to, to one bucket, the, the data bucket, and then we rerun it against the actual data, and we have the output data. So, now, how it, this whole diagram shows what we do when we create the cluster. And the cluster creation has multiple steps. We create the whole thing, the whole infrastructure using Puppet. The first thing that we do is creating the VPCs and all the configurations. We don't allow all the people from all around the world to connect to our EC2 instances. We block all the possible ports. SSH is blocked, HTTP is blocked, HTTPS is blocked. All the ports are blocked. We take care of the security groups there. Uh, we only allowing IP addresses from within Scotiabank to connect to our instances just in case. We are creating the route tables, all that, using the Puppet module. And then after we do, we take care of that, we create our ECS and the cluster, EC2, EC2 instances cluster using the same module. 
and we create our task definitions for Docker images. We say this Docker image is the one that you're going to run, and we also schedule it through the same one, one create cluster.pp file, which I'm going to show you next, and it's a long video. So here, I go to the puppet module that is supposed to do that. We go to create cluster, puppet module, and I'm going to give you a very quick snapshot of what it looks like. There's like how, which region you want to bring up your cluster, what are the IPs that can access it, what is the security group that you define, what is the image that you are going to take from ECR, the, the image that I just pushed, uh, and then I, I can name it, all those things, and then I have to say what is the task definition, when I want to run it, how I want to run it. So here, I go to the test folder, which is a common practice for Puppet, and then I run the create cluster Puppet module. Uh, Puppet apply is the way that we run it. It's only for the demo. The actual thing is, is, is managed by Puppet Master internally, and it, all these things are locked down. This is only for the purpose of reInvent that I'm creating this cluster. So here, the very first thing that I'm doing on the left thing, if, if you can read the, the last line, it's to create the EC2 VPC. I'm creating that VPC before I bring up anything on, in, in my cluster and that in, in the region and in that VPC. Once the VPC is, is there, all the security groups. Now you're, it, it is creating the security group now. And if, if the security group is already created by any other puppet module or I have done it before, it just skips it and it uses that security group. Once the security group is done, and these are all set with the security. We have all the security requirement around this. So security came and, and looked at the code and they're like, okay, this is good enough, you can deploy. I create the EC2 VPC internet gateway as well and uh, uh, the route table after that, as you see. And once all of these are done, we're good with the security perspective and we, we can, uh, kind of our, our infrastructure is secure enough then we go through the subnet creation and after that we bring up the, the EC2 instances, we pull the images from, from ECR and we start running it by the task definition that we already have in our puppet module. So looking at this, it's, it's almost over. EC2 VPC subnet is done and now it's going to US East 1 to, to bring up the EC2 instances that I have. In this, by, by changing a common YAML file, I, I only added five instances, I think five, to, to use the ECR, the image that I pushed to ECR and take it there, pull it there and start running it on, these, on the cluster of five nodes. And again, in the, in the code, in my puppet code, I can specify what image I want to point to for, the, for, for these instances. As you see, the instances are coming up. They serve the purpose of running the model and scoring them against the data that I have on the S3 input, input bucket. And one more click. I see that they are coming up now and they will be running shortly. So with, with this, we could easily bring up a cluster on any region because I needed to just change one parameter in my YAML code. Say, refer to this 
I wanted to be in, in Canada Center region, and boom, the infrastructure is up and running. That's it. So the, now these guys are doing all the calculation and everything and push the scores back to the, and this is the diagram. They took the, the image from ECR and the input data. They ran it and they pushed the results to another bucket, which is if I go to the console and do just a refresh on S3 buckets that I have, I go to reinvent Scotia output and I have the CSV files already created. If I have full access, I can download it. If not, I can simply go to my node and get it. This is the gateway node that we have. And I can get it from there. And the CSV files will be pushed to on-prem. And this is the scores of our models. If I, if I look at it, again, this is a simplified, simplified version of what we actually have. But you have the account numbers and the, the scores created for you. So here, after this, how did we leverage Puppet? Why did we use it? First, we have the pipeline created already. Uh, for on-prem purposes, we are using we are we are using Puppet as our enterprise config management tool to manage our infrastructure, as well as deploying the the applications to target servers. So we use the same uh, technique to 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 use it against AWS instances that we are bringing up. That was part of the reason. Second was that it's it's pretty simple to use. It was very easy to get the, the Puppet code that we had, we, we found on Puppet Forge, and we, we could just modify it and reuse it. The third reason was that there is a bunch of open source modules already created by very smart people, and they are already there on Puppet Forge, and we could leverage them. And how, how did we do it? There is three modules, technically, that we are, we are using, and these three are open source for you. One is AWS Puppet module that you can take from, from Puppet Forge. Today it's there and Puppet guys are, are updating it every day. Look at number of times it's downloaded. You, you get a sense of how good it is and people keep rating them. So we have that AWS Puppet module. We created two modules for ourselves, which I open sourced for you. Cloud Setup Puppet module takes care of the proxy takes care of the uh, security, all the credentials, AWS access key and secret key, you can put it there and create, and it, it takes care of the proxy and everything depending on your organization, you can use Puppet Setup Puppet module. And the third thing that we have is cloud formation. All the cluster creation, security creation, VPCs, security groups, uh, all that is handled by cloud formation. And in that file, you can define tasks, you can, in that module, you can define tasks, use, use uh, how to create ECR, how to create EC, uh, ECS cluster, how to use S3, how to create S3, how to push to S3. All of that code is under CloudFormation Puppet module. Here, I'm gonna, I, I just gave you a snapshots, snapshots of different pieces of code that we have. On the left, I have how to create uh, EC2 VPC. 
This is how it, how easy it is to use the cloud setup puppet module. Just access key and and secret key. You can you can lock it down so no one can see it as well. You you see how to create the subnet, how to create the cluster, how many nodes, how many EC2 instances you want to create on the uh, on the one in the middle, uh, and how to define the the tasks and everything on the ones on the top down and sorry on the right side of this. With deep learning models, what did we achieve? Previously, we had like uh, 20 variables that we could go against and, and define our models. Today, using deep learning, we are using over 300 credit bureau variables for, as an input variable for our models. So big data helped us a lot in, in using deep learning. The, the, the code that we wrote is not we, deep learning team, jointly with us. The code that they wrote is purely in Python and they're using TensorFlow. Uh, there are a bunch of hyperparameters that they used and they are mentioned all there and we're using grid search. And what they did is tenfold cross-validation with stratification for their deep, deep learning models. That table that you see in the top bottom right is how we could actually increase uh, the, the, the scores and how much lift did we actually have at Scotiabank detecting the delinquency, delinquencies earlier. So November 2014, the lift is about 20%. In January 15, the lift is about 19. May 15 data, the lift is about 18%. And August 2015 is about 19%. So we could improve significantly using this. Finally, I'd like to, before I go through the results, I'd like to thank two, two, two specific people. One, one of them is here, Suhail Shergil, our head of uh, data science and model innovation team is here. And my colleague, Neil Gundamas, who was purely responsible for uh, data extraction and, and working with deep learning team to, to do the, the, the algorithms. And as a result, what we did, we created, orchestrated, and terminated all the EC2 instances with container registry, ECS, container, uh, EC2 container services. Uh, and everything that we did, we used Puppet. We synchronized the data that we, we have on S3 and in-house uh, using S3 on AWS and internally we used GitHub and we used GitLFS to, to push the, the data to. Uh, security, we take care of IEM roles and everything using JSON, passing it to the Puppet modules for both uh, S3 buckets and also for the EC2 instances that we bring up, we give them roles to. So those are the only instances that can take the data from input folder, input bucket on S3. So no one else, even ourselves, in fact, I created so many dormant S3 buckets on this project and I had to contact Amazon to delete them. But nobody can, can actually go to our S3 buckets. The only ones can go are the EC2 instances that we bring up on this cluster and we manage that using IAM roles. All the applications that we wrote are containerized. Everything is in Docker images and everything is stored on ECR. Changing the cluster, as you saw in the demo, it's pretty easy. 
by just changing the parameters and one single line of code, we can bring up the whole cluster, shut it down pretty easily. And we could, we could do a rapid development and we can also trace everything that we did because we have all the audit logs and everything. It's not in this demo, but everything that, is, that, uh, everything that we did was, was traceable as well. Uh, I think I'm done, almost. I'm gonna hand it back to, to no, Matt. No oh, there's a success, sorry. There's a success story. We were interviewed by Wall Street Journal after we've done it and our CIO went to this meeting and we were recognized by Wall Street of how we, how we could improve the collection strategies for the Bank of Nova Scotia. I'm gonna hand it back. Thank you very much. So think about, um, Nima, just before you go, um, if you had to, to sort of impart to people um, two or three things, what, what do you think were the most important parts of this project? I think the most important thing is, is that it was done, the reason that we did it was that it was very simple. It was doable and we, we could actually really easily uh, use these techniques that we are doing in-house and just, just use it for AWS as well. So simplicity is one of the key factors why we chose this. And second one is that we, we were given the freedom to do it and I really appreciate that mm -hmm. from the high level management that said, yeah, we trust you, go for it. As long as security approved it, go for it. And I think those two factors were the key ones. So, I mean, if, you're, if you think back over, over the presentation, the Scotiabank identified a particular problem area within, um, within their consumer base, which was payments collections and delinquency rates, was able to demonstrate uh, a market improvement over the existing processes and the way in which they engage their customers. They had a, a platform and orchestration services allowed them to focus on the actual problem that they were trying to, to solve for. Um, had the right hardware, had the right security components and able to achieve approval and get the buy-in from their executive sponsors. And were able to improve this, as Nima mentioned, you know, single line change deployments would allow them to target any region where they were able to, to deploy. So the call to action here, um, for, for those that are here, we have um, available today blog posts that will walk you through exactly how, how you can orchestrate GPU accelerated workloads through ECS. We have a workshop that you can, you can go through to get hands-on experience with it. There's a link to the deep learning AMI, which has all the frameworks ready to go for you. As well, Nima, as you mentioned, has open sourced the puppet modules that were actually used by Scotiabank, and they are available here. So we would, would strongly encourage you to, to go through these. As well, if you're interested in learning more about the actual machine learning models that were deployed in this, there is uh, another session later this week on Thursday, it's CON 408, where Deep Learning will be presenting the machine learning components that they deployed for this application. So with that, I would like to thank you all for coming and thank Nima, uh, as well as Suhail and the Scotiabank team for uh, working with us and presenting today. Um, and I hope you guys have a, a fantastic rest of your industry day. Thank you very much, and please remember to complete your evaluations.